0: Do you make a grocery list, remember to bring it to the grocery store with you and with something to mark off after you get the items? Do you, do you get all, all of those things done at the same time? Do you have a savings account that you keep track of? Do you have stocks and, and bonds that you're figuring your numbers on and moving around all the time? How, how responsible would you say that you were? It's a good thing to be responsible. Wouldn't you say? It's a good thing, right? People trust you with stuff when you're responsible. And yet it seems like for a lot of us, the main thing that we've been given to be responsible with, we often fail to be responsible with. That's what I was thinking of when I was thinking about this this parable. The main thing that we have to be responsible with is ourselves, what we need, what we feel, how we can take care of ourselves appropriately. It's the only thing that you're both born with and that you die with, yourself. The main thing you have to take care of. When I was a kid, I got lost in a grocery store. Anybody ever do that when they were a kid? I remember this grocery store. It was in Atlanta, Georgia. It was a big one. It wasn't the normal grocery store that we went to. It was like the fancier one. Um, and, and, uh, and for some reason, it, remind, it reminds me in my imagination of Costco. Like it was just big and everything felt really big in that store. And when I got lost, uh, I didn't know what to do at first. And I knew that my mom would probably start looking for me or was already looking for me but I knew that I probably needed to look for her too. And eventually, uh, we found each other. I don't exactly remember the circumstances, but I was thinking about it from the perspective as an adult and how if my kid goes missing, it's primarily my responsibility to find my kid, not my kid's job, to find me. Would you agree? If you're a parent, I hope you would agree. but I was thinking about this, this kind of story where you have these, these older kids and, and this situation going on. And I was thinking like, who, whose responsibility is it here? And then, and then that, that metaphor being further kind of projected out into God's relationship with us and, and whose responsibility is it mine or, or, or is it God's to, to find me? To, to, to bring care and concern to me or is, it, or is it my job to go to God? So that's what I want to explore in this parable right here is kind of this idea of responsibility, especially related to coming home, getting reconnected with your family. And ultimately, as Christians, we believe that we are all children of God. So in that family, who's responsible for what? And and what could that look like? I think Jesus is drawing attention to many things here in this parable, and I think this is one of them. So let's start with the first three verses. First, it starts with, the audience. Luke gives us a particular audience that is hearing these parables here, including this one. It says in verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So let me tell you a little bit about the code language that Luke is using here. So tax collectors are probably Jewish people, most almost 100% sure they're gonna be Jewish people who are seen as traitors because they work for Rome to collect money from the Jewish people, and the Jewish people do not like Rome, and they have a lot of good reasons not to like Rome. So nobody really likes the tax collectors in the Jewish community, and religiously and otherwise, culturally, they're seen kind of as traitors, kind of as people who care about money more than they care about their own people. So being a tax collector, you might be rich, but you gotta insulate yourself really well to make sure that you're not like, people aren't throwing eggs at you or whatever. Um, nobody's gonna be partying with you, uh, with young goats and stuff like that if, uh, if you're a tax collector, unless they're also the, on that rich inner circle. And then you got sinners, you know, just people that have a bad reputation. So these are the people that are gathering around, hanging out with Jesus. They're hanging on his every word, these kind of folks. And then kind of a, a, a layer behind them, you have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttering. So the Pharisees are the, the folks that are the teachers of the, of the Jewish law. They're highly, the Torah, they're highly respected in the community. They really give people parameters to live a godly life. And then you've got teachers of the law who do similar things, just maybe they're not as much of, of a shepherd as the as the Pharisees and, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are muttering they're like man this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them and Jesus hears the muttering and uh, maybe they weren't trying to mutter it so low that it couldn't even be they probably weren't trying to hide what they felt That's what I'm saying And Jesus, instead of arguing with them or ignoring them or whatever, that's the situation in which he tells this parable. He's got the tax collectors, the traitors to his own people, and then the people who had the reputation of living an immoral life, which that's what the tax collectors are doing. And then right behind them are the Pharisees, these people who've worked really, really hard to follow God's law uh, right behind them. And Jesus says, hey, let me tell you guys a little story. So we continue here. He tells a story about a lost, uh, lost sheep and a lost coin, and he ends it with this parable about uh, these two sons. So he starts in verse 11b, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now to this audience, the minute they heard a man had two sons, they would have immediately started thinking about the history of the Jewish people. They would have been thinking about Cain and Abel, the first two sons right they would have been thinking about isaac and ishmael they would have been thinking about jacob and esau all of these stories of two sons and the and the grappling and the battling to see who's going to be the favored one who's going to pass on the lineage and what they're used to hearing what they're used to hearing from the story of Israel is that the younger son is actually the one who ends up like being the righteous one or the clever one or the strongest one or the one favored by God. In all those stories, that was the situation. So they're ready, they're hearing two sons, okay, this parable, we're gonna be associating with this younger son and the younger son's gonna kind of be the hero of the story. But it's a parable. So here's, here's the problem with parables and preaching. Preaching, maybe not mine so much, but in general, preaching is meant to give you a lot of like good answers and a lot of like strong application points and make the world feel really manageable. And parables are kind of meant to do the opposite. They're kind of meant to take the, the kind of traditional understandings, the traditional way of thinking about how the world's supposed to work and say, huh. Why did that happen like that again? Why why did he say that? Why did he do that? So when you come to a parable, you can find what you want to find in it, but the parable itself is looking to help you think a little bit differently, to expose some flaws in the logic of the way you understand the world. And so right away, two sons, here we go, Cain and Abel. We know what's gonna happen. Abel, the younger son, he's the good one. Isaac, this is a good one. Ishmael, the older son's the bad one. But then as we get into this parable, we see it's just not so clear cut, is it? About what's happening with these family members. So, the younger one says to the father, Father, give me my money. Cash at me right now, homie. Like, I don't want to wait any longer. You got a lot of stuff, and I want to get some of that stuff, right? Why, why, would, he, why would he do this? Why, why is he so impatient that he can't wait until his father actually passes away? I mean, maybe... Maybe his dad had been telling him his whole life, look, be patient, work hard, learn a work ethic. One day you're gonna have access to these things that you wanna have access to. Maybe the son was like, I I don't wanna do that. I want immediate, I want it now. Maybe... Maybe the son believed that the discomfort that he was going through in working under his father and living in that relationship, it just wasn't useful. It wasn't, it didn't add up to anything that seemed like it was gonna matter to this younger son. Maybe maybe he thought he'd never live up to his older brother. Maybe his older brother was like the guy always doing everything right, making straight A's, like combing the goat the best out of anybody, like doing all this kind of stuff. He's out there, he's, he's threshing the grain and, and stomping the grapes better than anybody, right? He's got, he's got the whole package. And, and the younger son's like, I can't live up to that. And I, I gotta do something different. I gotta strike out on my own. And I don't wanna wait until I get it myself. Oh, I know. I can ask my daddy. But here's what I want you to keep in mind in this parable is that the father, it says right there in the verse in the beginning, foreshadows something here that the father divides up his property equal between the two of them, Okay, So just just keep that in mind. So the son, the younger son comes up and he demands. He doesn't ask. He doesn't say like, hey, dad, you know, like, I kinda wanna do more, can we, can we work something out? Can you, can you loan me a little bit here and, and that kind of thing? No, he comes up and he's like, demands what's mine, like my estate and the dad, for whatever reason, is like, sure, go ahead. So, verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. So, he, he's already got the car saved, on the Carvana website in, in, his, uh, in his cart. So he goes ahead and he double clicks on that, he buys the car, he gets himself some new AirPod, like Beats by Dre, like the really nice ones, the wireless ones, and he gets his stuff together, right? And he heads out and he, he, uh, he, he sends his friends a little bit of cash to, to get things going uh, where he wants to be and probably starting out in Las Vegas or something. Maybe he stops by the, the mall, because they had malls back then. Like you uh, you guys don't know about malls, you just shop online. But back in the ancient times, they had these things called malls. And so maybe he stopped there and he got some clothes on the way to make sure he was looking real fly, another ancient term uh, that I'm showing my age with, right? And when he gets there, I mean, he he goes wild, right? He it says he set off for a distant country there, squanders his his wealth and wild living. So it's like it's only gastro pubs for this guy. He's not going to the regular pubs, like he's going where the cocktails gotta be like over $14. And it's just an old fashioned, it's just syrup, and it's just whiskey with a with a wedge of orange. It is it's not that serious, right? But it's, he's, going, he's going broke, like he's gonna he's going do the whole thing. Uh, he's living large, like he's wearing Birkenstocks with sandals, doesn't even care. I mean, Birkenstocks with socks, that's what I meant to say, like he doesn't care, right? He's he probably hitting some strip clubs, things like that. All the things his dad wouldn't let him do. The, the voice of his dad, patient son, there are better things, like just be patient. He's like, man, forget it, I'm going, I'm going all the way. Who knows how long this would have lasted if the famine hadn't come, right? If, this, if stuff hadn't dried up. He spent all his dad's stuff and then this famine came. So uh, verse uh, 15, or let me finish 14. So he spent, he, uh, he, after he'd spent everything, there was a famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Which, by the way, as a Jewish person, not very kosher, right? Going to have to to feed the pigs. But he's pretty desperate at this point. He's like, all right, I'll go feed the pigs. It's not like I was following all the rules before this anyway, so. In verse 16, it says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Yeah. There, here, here's the crazy thing about this guy, right? And and unfortunately, I can relate to it. He he doesn't know just how to ask for things. He 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 thinks that life works with demands, either implicit or explicit. He demands the inheritance from his dad. Dad, give me my give me my money. And then here, he's lost everything, he's broke, he's by himself in a pig field and, uh, or pig pen or whatever, and um, the pigs are eating these pods and it says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods. I don't, I don't know what the pods are. Um, but then it says, but nobody gave him anything. Poor guy, he can't even ask. Like he's still not asking for what he needs. He thinks life is about like getting what you want through demands and manipulation, and he's, still, he's sitting here in the mud, and he still thinks that's the way life works, that, that people should be able to give you what you want without you ever having to actually just be vulnerable enough to say, hey, I need something, I need some help. Will you help me? Will you be with me in this? Will you help me achieve the things I wanna be? Can I ask this question of you? He's still waiting for somebody else to just give him something without having to ask. I know nobody can relate to that in here. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, oh, so finally he's hit his rock bottom. He's, now he's coming to his senses. He's getting sober. He's been living this wild life, this life of of demand. And he finally wakes up to something. He comes to his senses. What are these senses that he's coming to? He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And then he does something. He gets up and he actually goes home to his father. Here's the first inkling we have that this younger son is ready to take a step towards owning what he's responsible for in his life. Owning responsibility for the choices that he's making, for the things that he's lost, for anything that he may have gained, (laughs) We don't see any of that in this story except for his senses. Um, So he's finally gotten to the point where he's ready to take action. And I know this is a parable, but I think this moment in the pig pen is something we all need. I think we all need this moment where the way we've been living finally stops working for us enough that we say, I gotta go home. I gotta go home, I I need help. I need God's help, I need other people's help, I gotta go home, I can't do this like I've been doing it anymore, it's not working. I kept trying to tell myself it's working, I kept trying to ignore the things I didn't wanna see that were the result of this way of living, I gotta go home. So we keep reading in verse 21, or verse, uh, verse 20. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son starts in with the line he practiced. The son said to him, uh, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, he doesn't even listen to his son. He's like, quick. Go get the best robe and put it on him and put, put a ring on his finger and sandals without socks on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The son realizes his shame and guilt and comes back home. He's got the line practice. He knows he's, he's squandered these things. He knows that uh, he has been unfaithful with what his father gave him, that he has not made good on the things that his father taught him, and he's prepared to face the consequences, at least he thinks he is, and he comes to his father with this line ready to hopefully like maybe get start back as a servant, maybe be able to work his way up and get in his good graces over time or something like that. I don't know how honest his desire is, but what he encounters is so different than what he thought he would see. He sees his father running towards him. And I don't know if you've heard teachings on this before, but it was, it's not a big deal that the father ran for him to be a Jewish uh, landowner to run that. that he's, he sees his son who he thought, I might never see this guy again. He only wanted me for my stuff and I love him. He's my baby boy, he's my youngest son and I'm gonna go get him. And the son starts to start in on his line and he doesn't care. He's like, I just want to lavish as much love on my kid as I can. He was gone and I want him back. You could just hear the wheels turning and maybe some tears dropping in the audience listening to this parable the tax collectors, the the traders, the people who feel like they had maybe squandered the things that they were given for their own personal gain who are hearing this. And the Pharisees who are probably at this point starting to get pretty angry hearing about this story. But see, this younger son, he thought, he thought the main thing he could get from the people in his life was the stuff they had. And in the moment that he sees his dad come and grab him and hold him and lavish more onto him, he hopefully is starting to realize that he missed what home was about all along. That he could be loved, that he could be known, that if he asked for it, he could actually have the only things that would satisfy his soul. And it wasn't stuff. So the son comes back and the father says, you know, it's like he was dead. And, and, and that's, what, that's what happens when we get caught up, when we get caught up in believing that we can bypass asking for the things that we need in relationship. That That we can live somehow on our own terms by ourselves, without having to ask you, just manipulating things around and thinking we're going to find satisfaction. when When that happens, it's like we die in our relationships. They don't go forward. It, it's like, uh, what happened to my friend? what What happened to my? Son, or what happened to my father? They're not like they used to be. We die. And then he says this line. He says he was lost and is found. But, he, but the, the younger son came back on his own. I mean, the younger son knew where he was, right? The, the dad wasn't even out looking for him. He, he didn't go out to the distant country to go, to go find him. So was he, was, he, was, he, was he lost like I was lost in the supermarket as a kid? He came back on his own. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He's out there, the older son's doing his thing. He's working hard. That's what he does. That's what he's about. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. So Pharisees are like, oh, okay, this is us, right? The servant says, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has come back safe and sound. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine being the older brother hearing that? Like, man, he did it again. Younger brother did this again, right? He, he took all this stuff and he left. Now he's back, now dad's throwing him a party and he, and he like gives him the biggest spread. He ta- takes him to Texas Day Brazil, right? It's just meat galore. Is that even a, does that exist anymore? Is that going on? I never went, I never been there. And so he's out here in the field and the party got started without him too. Like, in that, not in that the, like the, the older kid, like the responsible one? Isn't that what, what happens? Like, oh, you're so responsible and everything, people forget to even invite you to the party, right? Because you probably don't want to come anyways because you're probably studying for your SAT or something like that, right? So verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. Can you can you hear can you hear the Pharisees frustration in that? They see Jesus just stepping over all the things that they've been trying to teach people and show people and say, no, come on in, traitors to your people. You can be in here with us. You can be in the inner circle with me. You can have grace lavished upon you. Come on in. Those of you who ignored all the rules of your teachers and Pharisees, like come on in and have a big party with me. That would be fun. That would be fair. Not if you're the older brother. Not if you're the Pharisees said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, hyperbole included, just in case, like I wasn't there, I don't know what he was doing, but let me like make it the worst thing that I can. You kill the fatted calf for him. This is so important in this story. That's why I hate it when they title it The Prodigal Son. Because to me, this is where the story starts to get really interesting, is what's happening in the family here. Because when, when grace and mercy is extended in ways that don't fit like with with how we've sort of all unspokenly agreed who's forgivable and who's not and what offenses are forgivable and what aren't, that's where the rubber really meets the road. We can all think we're kind and forgiving and generous people as long as we're doing it inside of the unspoken cultural norms that we've all agreed upon in our little part of the world. But here, the older brother has just reason to feel angry, and offended by this. I mean, first of all, whose who's fatted calf is this if, he divided, if, the, if the father divided the inheritance between the two sons? Maybe it's the, older, maybe it's the older son stuff, but he hasn't claimed it yet. So here in verse 31, it says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. That's really interesting because the older son says, you haven't even given me a young goat to, to party with my friends to celebrate, right? And the father says, oh, are you really? Like you really, you really thought you didn't, you couldn't, like all of this is yours, man. Like you're out there in the field ordering people around, like telling them to pick, get this stuff and do this. Like, this is your stuff. And, and we divided the inheritance between the two of you. You could have got it anytime you wanted to. You don't have to just tread. Uh, uh, you don't have to kneel, walk, kneeling and repenting through the desert as this amazing uh, poem by Mary Oliver, I think that's her name, uh, uh, talks about. Who's he talking to? He's, he's talking right to the Pharisees right now. He's looking right past the tax collectors and the sinners. He's looking right at the Pharisees. He's like, you don't gotta earn God's love, bro. You don't got to. All this time, you've been holding back, celebrating. You've been holding everything close to your chest. You've been trying to earn something, and so you're looking down on everybody else who's not trying as hard as you to earn your daddy's love. But it's all been yours the whole time. Maybe you wouldn't be so stingy with what you could give to other people if you realized everything is already accessible to you. Wouldn't wouldn't that be a nice thought? You can have all the young goats you want. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So are are you working hard for people's approval right now? Here's here's why the, the older son didn't know didn't know that at any time he could have had a party with his friends because he didn't ask. He didn't ask. He actually is suffering from the exact same problem as the younger brother. He's demanding that people meet his needs without asking for things. And that's irresponsible. That's irresponsible, just just like the younger son. Once people to do things for them, wants people to figure out what they need, wants them to read their minds, wants to use conniving or hard work either way to avoid being responsible for themselves. You got to ask. Jesus is saying, look, like these folks are right here. They're asking for what they need. They've realized that they've been in the pig pen, they've realized that they're hungry for something and they don't know how to solve the problem. There's problems, you guys, that we're all trying to solve, that you're trying to solve, that I'm trying to solve, and you ain't never, ever, ever gonna solve them, never. But you could ask for help. Do you want to, though? Are you too scared to ask for help? Are you only willing to ask for certain kinds of help from certain places? You're not fooling anybody but yourself. This is an irresponsible family. Nobody wants to own their stuff here. And here is this dad just giving stuff out and not telling people exactly what's what. This is just a very irresponsible family. This is where the parable ends. It ends outside of the party, sun setting, can hear all the music and the celebration, younger son in there, stinky and bewildered with the nice stuff on, music playing and the brother, older brother and the dad outside with the, with the dad trying to um, comfort and persuade his oldest son. And we don't know how it ends. He said, Hey, we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He came home. So, in closing, in this parable here, um, thinking about being responsible for yourself. You're not a kid in a grocery store lost, you're a grown up. And God has given you the responsibility to ask for what you need, to be responsible for how He made you. He wants to give you a party. You can party, you can celebrate, you can celebrate little things in your life. And you can ask for the things that you don't understand. You don't have to come with it all together and all figured out and all in the right places and then say, Look at how shiny I am. Don't you want to do things for me without me having to ask you? We get lost. We get far away from home when we're unable to ask God, to ask others for what we need. So don't be irresponsible. Bring your needs, bring your celebrations, and bring your impossible problems. Let's pray.